listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. And so tonight, we're going to be kind of continuing that topic, um, kind of bringing it full circle. And we talked about this idea of like God's people blessing the nations, and then how is that going to happen? And then we talked about Jesus, how he comes to earth, and he comes and he blesses us so that we can bless others. And so since the beginning, okay, since the beginning, since Genesis, um, God's mission has been to fill the earth with his image-bearing people. You bear his image. And his goal has been to fill the whole earth with his image-bearing people to bless the world. His, his mission is accomplished in fullness by who? It's accomplished in fullness by Jesus. And so what do we do now? Now that we know this, that Jesus is, you know, the mission is accomplished in Jesus. Um, he's a blessing to us because he saves us, right, from sin and from death. That's a blessing. That's a gift. We don't deserve that. That's offered to us. So now what do we do? What does your heart want to do when you encounter Jesus? What is planted inside of your soul that all of a sudden you, you feel compelled to do something, right? There's something that arises inside of you. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? So if you have Jesus, what do you do next? If you believe in Jesus, and some of you might not in this room, that's okay. Um, but maybe have a conversation with one of us today about it. But if you believe in Jesus, what's the next steps? So if you're in this room today and you're a Christian, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit is what are the next steps for you if you believe in Jesus, if you have faith in him? And so the disciples, they're with Jesus and they're wondering the same thing. And Jesus gives them a mission, okay? So Jesus has died. He was buried in the grave and then he was resurrected. And they're like, okay, Jesus, what's next? And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to leave you. And they're like, oh gosh, not again. You're going to leave us. And then he says, but before I go, I'm going to give you this command and, and just wait, um, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Um, so Jesus says in uh, verse 19 of Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be witnesses of what Jesus has done, the story of Jesus. Hey, what's up? I want mommy. Okay, let's, why don't you walk right over there and see those doors? <laughs> everyone, everyone say bye, Trey. Bye. <laughs> yeah, big jump, Spider-Man. Um, all right, where were we? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is given. It's, it's, it's poured out. So doesn't this sound very similar 
to when God told Abraham in Genesis 12, which is what we started with a few weeks ago, that he will bless Abraham so that Abraham will bless the world, that Jesus came to earth, blessed the disciples, they witnessed it, they saw it so that they would go out into the world and share it. God blesses us with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that you can bear witness to the work that he's done in your life, to the work that he's done in your heart, to how he saved you from your sin and from your own death. When you believe in Jesus to be your king, and what do I mean when I say be your king? It means that what he says to you to do, you do. What he says in the Bible, you listen to it and you do it. That's, that's a king. He reigns over your life. If he says, if you want... It's like, oh man, I really want to do this, but God is calling me not to do this. You listen to God and not to your feelings. And then the next thing is God is, you know, Jesus is your savior, meaning you have faith that he has rescued you from the sin and from your death. He's rescued you from those moments when you rebel against him and push against him and you go, you know what? I'm not going to listen to Jesus. I'm not going to obey what he says in my life. I'm going to do what I want. So if you have Jesus as your king and your savior, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Something very outside of you is at work, all right? In and of yourself, you you desire to sin. You desire to push against God. But just the fact that you don't want to is proof that the Holy Spirit is working um, in your heart. So you have the Holy Spirit, and it convicts you. What does the Holy Spirit convict you of? It convicts you when you do something wrong. Anyone feel bad when they do something wrong? All right, it convicts you. It leads you to say, you know what? I need to go make that right. I need to say sorry. It leads you to seek forgiveness. It leads you to even forgive those who have hurt you. How many of you guys have been hurt by somebody? Just this week, Grant Weed got his ankles broken by Elliot. (laughs) And he had to forgive Elliot. It was a beautiful picture. It was a beautiful picture. I'm sorry, Grant, that was too far. but, he, but, you know, he sought out, they sought out, they said sorry, and they for, there's forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit. It's at work. That was not in my notes, by the way. I just saw you, and you're just smiling at me. I was like, Listen, this is perfect. The Holy Spirit told me to do it, man. I'm listening to him. Um, so um, it leads you to obey. It leads you to want to obey. Um, it, leads, um, it leads and guides the way you live. The Holy Spirit is always doing that. So, like, if you're here tonight and the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart, um, to give your life to God. If you sat here before, or if you've been at Camp Seven Rivers, or if you've been at school, or you've been um, at church, and you're like, man, I just want to give my life to God. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who has shown you and convinced you that God is very real and has convinced you to believe in him. It, has, it wasn't me, all right? So if you were here and you came to Christ um, at youth group, it wasn't me, it wasn't Maddie, it wasn't AJ, it wasn't Sam, it wasn't your small group leader, it wasn't your parents, but it was the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit used maybe Maddie, Sam, AJ, or me. Maybe used Jason. Maybe used me. Maybe used your parents and maybe used your small group leaders. But it wasn't them. It was the Holy Spirit working through them. All right. This is probably confusing you a little bit. I want to look to the guys because I'm about to talk about video games. So this, it's kind of, it's kind of like a video game. So bear with me for a second. It's not perfect. This isn't a perfect analogy. But in, in the world of a video game, you have what? An avatar, right? Do you, everyone know what an avatar is? Anyone have a Wii? Have you ever made like a, what's it they call them? Mies? The Mies? It's an avatar. Okay, so when you're playing a video game, you, you, you possess you with a controller, Xbox, whatever it is. You are possessing an avatar, right? A, a, 
a character in the video game, right? Um, but the avatar only engages with the world that surrounds it when it is when one the game consoles turned on and you are behind the controller, right? When a human being is behind the controller, all right? If there's no human being behind the avatar in this digitally created world with this digitally created avatar, then the avatar does absolutely nothing. It has no ability to play the game and to fulfill its purpose. But when a human being takes the controller, the avatar comes to life, right? It now has the ability to play the game and to fulfill its purpose. In a similar way, just at the surface level, this is how it's working with the Holy Spirit on us. We have no ability in and of ourselves to play the game of life, all right? We have no ability in and of ourselves to fulfill our purpose. We need the Holy Spirit to take control over our lives, right? Take control of our lives so that we can play, so that we can fill the mission that God has for us. You guys following? You see how that works? We, the Holy Spirit, when it comes into our lives, it gives us a purpose and meaning, okay? So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit takes control? has the controller in his hands of your of you, the avatar, the body, all right? What, what happens when the spirit controls your life, your body? What does it look like first with the disciples in the early church? In Acts um, chapter two, verses 42 through 47, I'm just gonna read this to you. I want you guys to see this picture of when the Holy Spirit is working, how contrary and how, like, how it works against what everything in the world says how it should be. One, so in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to teaching of God's word. And they, it says fellowship, but it means they, they hung out. They got together and they hung out. And they would break bread or eat pizza. And then they would, they would pray for each other, like you do in your small groups. And all came upon every soul that saw this. And many wonders and signs were being done through the disciples, the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had these things in common with each other. And what they began to do is they started to sell their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all of those who had need. And day by day, they would go to the temple together to worship and eat pizza. No, they would break bread. That's the term in the Bible. And they would do that in their own houses. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And they would praise God and having favor with all the people. And God added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So what happens when the Holy Spirit takes control of your life? What happens when the Holy Spirit takes control of the disciples' lives? They submit their lives to what God says. They listen to his teachings like this. They get together and they listen to it. If he says, do this, then they do that. If he says, don't do this, then they don't do it. How do they know what God said? Well, they look to the Bible all the time, the scriptures. They not only did that, but they would hang out together. They played games, they ate food, and they prayed for one another. Does this not sound a little bit, just a little, like youth group? I mean, a little bit. We read the Bible, right? We study it, we eat food together, we hang out, we pray for one another in our small groups. And that's what it is. I mean, we are being the church. But what else does the Holy Spirit lead them to do? And I, they, they were led by the Holy Spirit. There's something else in this, in this passage. They were led to sell their possessions and belongings and give it all away to those who were needy. They gave away their lives to the needy. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do as Americans, especially as middle school Americans, to give away our lives because we have so much life left to live. Why would we sacrifice it 
for somebody else. Your middle school years are supposed to be about yourself. Your high school years are supposed to be about yourself. Your college years are supposed to be about yourself. Why would I give that up for somebody else? I'll save that for when I have kids. I'll save that for when I have a wife or a husband. But God, as, as Christians, we are called to do it now so that others can flourish. Jesus says this, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever gives their life away for Jesus will have true life. I would argue that you're not really living if you're gripping and hanging on and fearful of losing your life. But you are living when you lay it down and give it up. It's going to be scary. It'll be very hard. But it'll be the greatest adventure in the entire world. It means that you will be different as a middle school student. You will not be like the rest of the world. It means that people will probably make fun of you because of the decisions you make, because you're listening to God and not to culture. It means that people might not like you as much. You might not fit in. It might mean that you'll be an outcast. It might mean that people will see you as dumb, believing in God. They might see you as a bigot or an idiot, but you will have Jesus and he will have you. Truly, as a Christian, that's all we want. We, all we want is Jesus. And we want Jesus to want us, and he does. So listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, why don't you think about it, about talking to your small group leader and coming to know Jesus? Because he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And it changes everything, absolutely everything. So as a Christian, Jesus just doesn't say, hey, I want to know you and you should want to know me. That's great and all. And we have a relationship with him, right? And he's like, hey, guess what? Will you come with me on this adventure? Will you come with me and, and, and live a life with me? He invites you to journey with him. He gives you a mission. So you don't have to just go through life aimless. And the mission is this, to share with the world what he's done in your life to share with people the good news that sin and death does not define you. A lot of people are really scared of dying, and I am too. And a lot of people are really scared of sin and committing sins, but also having sins committed against them. But we, as Christians, get to tell them that, hey, your sin doesn't define you. The sin done to you doesn't define you. The death that is coming for you doesn't define you. That doesn't get the last day of your life. There's a way. There's hope. There's a way to be forgiven, and there's a way to have eternal life. And it's all done in Jesus. You get to say that to people. Your small group leaders tonight have been encouraged to share their testimonies with you guys. They're going to share about how God uh, invaded their hearts. They're going to share about how they came to know him and how Jesus has come to know them. And they'll share about their sin. And they'll talk about things that they have done that they regret and have been sad about. And you're like, who in the world will ever want to share their sin with somebody? It's a Christian. Because a Christian wants you to know that they are a mess, that they are a sinner and that they are broken and that someone like that is welcomed by Jesus. That's what your small group leaders want you to know, that you don't have to hide your sin, but that you can bring it forward and you can experience forgiveness and you can be loved for exactly the way you are. And when that happens, it changes everything. And then they'll share about how God has changed their life. So listen to their stories and be thinking about your own. Your story is a tool that God can use to share with the world his love. 
Will you let him use your story? So listen, there's this, this is kind of maybe a little bit above your head. So try to bear with me. I'm stretching here. Chuck Colson worked in politics. He worked for the former president, Richard Nixon. Anyone know your presidents? Richard, you got Richard Nixon. So if you know anything about Richard Nixon, okay, he's, he's not the example of a great president necessarily. He was corrupt. And Chuck Colson was a big part in helping Nixon accomplish his corrupt goals, okay? But something happened to Chuck Colson when Nixon got caught. So Nixon gets caught, he's getting in trouble, things are coming out that he's not who he says he is. And at the time, Colson's not a Christian, but he'd been wrestling with Christianity. He knew that Nixon had been um, getting in trouble and that there was an investigation happening and that eventually, as they investigated him, that it would lead to him being part of it, right? Okay? And so he knew that this was going to happen to him. And so he began talking with one of his friends who was a Christian. And they started reading this book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And, and together one night when he was leaving his house, he froze in the car in the driveway of his friend's house and he began to weep. And this is what he writes. When I, a tough guy, um, sorry, when I got in the car that night, I couldn't drive it out of the driveway. I, don't, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what to say. I just knew I needed Jesus. I was a tough guy, a Marine, a captain, a White House executive. And I was sitting there crying to God and calling out to him. I just knew I needed Jesus. And he came into my life in that driveway. So what does Jesus do with Chuck Colson after that moment? He leads Chuck Colson to go and to confess his sins. He leads Chuck Colson to plead guilty instead of fighting it in court that he was part of that. He leads Chuck Colson into prison where he served. And then he leads Chuck Colson to start a prison ministry. And he leads Chuck Colson to share his story. And many people through that story of his sin and God's redemption came to know Jesus. Colson was a sinner, but God changed his life and saved him. When Colson shares his story, he's evangelizing. When he's not covering up his sins and acting like he has it together, he's evangelizing. He's bearing witness of how God has blessed him, even though he didn't deserve it. Will you share your story, your true story? Not the one that you're going to make up and make it sound like you got it all together and figured out. Will you, will you share the real story of your life? Will you evangelize? Colson says that, the greatest joy in his life he's ever found is when I look back on my life. It's not having been to Buckingham Palace or to receive the Templeton Prize or getting honorary degrees or writing books. The greatest joy in my life is to see how God used my life to touch the lives of others, people hurting and in need. It's been a long time since the dark days of Nixon, and I'm still astounded that God would take someone who was infamous in the Nixon scandal like me soon to be convicted as a felon, would take him into his family, order his steps in the way he has with me. God touched me at that moment in that driveway, 30 years later. His love and kindness touch and astound me still. God wants to use your story. He wants to use your story. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Will you guys share your story? Will you guys share it in your small groups? Your leaders are going to share theirs with you. But maybe you think, all right, I'm going to share mine and see what God does. Let's pray.